Are y'all glad to be here tonight? Yeah, thank you. I still think you're patronizing me, but thank you anyway. It's okay. How many of you know what that word means, patronizing? Anybody? Some of you? No? Go home and look it up. You learn a new word today. All right. Three weeks now. We are on week number four. What have we been talking about? Social. Being social people. Let's do a review. It's like a pop quiz. Yeah, we're getting there. Week number one. What do we talk about? <laughs> Surprisingly, they're both right. What did you say? Being connected. Yes, we did look at Facebook and how Facebook gives us little glimpses of what's going on in people's lives, but, but we're actually designed to be much more involved in each other's lives than Facebook really gives us the opportunity to do. That we're made to be a part of something bigger, specifically the church, and to do life face-to-face, engaging with one another, weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice. God made us to be social people. What do we talk about week two? What about, yes, Instagram and the Bible. I like how y'all are marrying these two. And Jesus, yes. What about Instagram and the Bible? We're getting to that. Okay. Gives us what? Gives us life. Yes. We talked about how Scripture, a lot of people take Scripture the way they use Instagram, where you get pictures, you get a sermon, you get a devotional, and you get little glimpses of who God is and, and, and what the Bible is. But that's not the way God intended for us to see the Bible. God intended for us to see the entire Bible, to know who He is, to know what He's done through His Word. And as we get into it, memorize it, study it, we start to understand who God is and how we can live a life that honors Him so that we can be social with God and because of that, be social with other people. Last week, what did we talk about? Yes! I'm so happy they paid attention. You really are. I could stop right now and it'd be a good night. Yes, but I'm not going to. (laughs) Cole, we're going to talk later. Hey, yes, we talked about Snapchat and we talked about accountability. How things like Snapchat, while they're, they're great, neat inventions, they remove accountability from our life. Because for 10 seconds, or up to 10 seconds, you can say or do anything you want to and not be responsible for it. But the truth is, we're always responsible for it. No matter what happens, no matter what's going on, no matter what the length of time is, we're always accountable. If to nobody else, who are we accountable to? God, thank you. So tonight, you're accountable to me too? That was was accountable to your leaders. There you go. So tonight, we've done three of the social icons that are up there. What's the last one? Twitter. Here's here's a question I want to ask you. How many of you in here have ever done something you regret? Nothing, you guess? What's that? No, just in just in life. I've done something you regret. regret. Man, I can't talk tonight. Regret. It's wabbit season. Something you regret. Is there anybody? Is there anybody that's willing to share before I just read some of these? Something you regret. Christian. So you regret meeting them? Okay, I know it was me. It's okay, Adia. 
Adia, what about you? What's that? Turning a camera at school? You got a Saturday school for that? Oh, yeah, I wouldn't have done that. See, the the reason I asked that is because, uh, Justin, what you got? <laughs> Justin regrets drinking his first glass of sweet tea because now he's addicted and he's not supposed to drink it when he plays sports. Justin, Justin, I'll tell you again, that is nothing to regret ever because sweet tea is amazing. What's that? That's because they're from up north. No, they're not gay. They're from up north. It's different. Okay. <laughs> hey, guys. The reason I ask you if you've ever done anything you regret, i got to make sure I say that word well, is because the truth is every one of us has done something. We have all done something embarrassing we have all said something we wish we hadn't said. Maybe it was to our parents or to a friend or to a teacher. N never. And it's something that we regret. In fact, the reason I had you guys write some of these down is because I want to read them. I want to see some of the things that you regret in your life. So I don't, I don't know that I'll read them all. Here's one. Oh, I like this one. Some of you, one of you regrets knowing this guy named Pastor Jesse. Yeah, there we go. You know what? I don't know who you are, but ditto. I regret not playing sports earlier. Okay, I can see that being a regret. I regret not sharing Christ when I, sh it says shouldn't have, but I think you meant should have. Not sharing Christ when I should have. Kevin, was that you? Everybody just called you out on that one. How about this one? I was expecting like some embarrassing ones. Oh, here we go. I regret farting in youth group. Was that Brandon or Jack? Okay, I'm not. <laughs> I regret I regret being mean to Dominic. Somebody loves you. It's important. I'm not going to read that one. That's not a hey, that's not a nice one. I regret trespassing in an abandoned building. Was that Dominic? <laughs> I regret mom drinking. That's right. Regret your mom drinking. How can you not get that? I regret not talking. Oh, I like this one. I regret meeting Tanner. I'm not lying, that's what it says. I didn't make that up. I regret meeting Madison. Y'all are mean. Y'all are mean. I regret breaking my back. Guess who that is? I regret neglecting any potentially beneficial opportunity. Man, and Justin's, I regret my first sweet tea. I still tell you, that's not a regret, buddy. I regret dating someone. That's what it just says. I regret, regret, regret. 
It's going to be a long night. I regret dating someone. I regret I regret talking back to my parents. And, hey, wait, okay. Do any of you really regret that? You should. I just want to know if you did. I regret trusting people. That's a big one. I regret not trusting God. We're getting, we're, getting, we're getting some serious stuff. I regret meeting, and I'm not going to read that name. We're not going to call names. That was you. I, re, I regret playing baseball for a team. How else would you play baseball? <laughs> I can see Nick now. I'm number one. <laughs> I regret not moving schools. Okay. It just says not moving schools. And here's, here's well, it's not the last one. I regret being weird in middle school. Just so you know, that's every one of you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You were, you were weird. I regret cutting my hair. And I regret betraying... I regret betraying my friends and letting someone I care about go. We're going to end on a serious one because that's the last one. <laughs> hey, clearly in this room, from what you've written down, there's regret. Now, some of it is kind of funny. Some of it doesn't necessarily make sense to us, but it does to you. And some of it is pretty serious stuff because there's stuff going on in your life or stuff that has happened in your life that, like we said before, we wish we could change. We wish we could do something different. And see, the reason, the reason we're talking about the whole Twitter thing tonight as the, the social app like we've done the last couple of weeks is because whether you know it or not, there's a lot of stuff that people have put out on Twitter that they regret. A lot of quick little, you know, 140 character things that have been shot out there that people wish they could take back. And you can go through and delete it, yes. But did you know? That yeah, is possible too. But here's the issue with Twitter. There was an article posted on January 7th. And here's what it said. It was titled, Library of Congress Digs Into 170 Billion Tweets. The story said, according to CNN... An effort by the Library of Congress to archive Twitter posts has amassed more than 170 billion tweets, which the library is now seeking to make available to researchers and other interested parties. In April of 2010, the library signed an agreement with Twitter to gain access to all public tweets since the site's founding in 2006. So yes, you can make your tweets private, but if you didn't start that way, you're stuck. The library has completed, has completed digitally archiving all of the tweets it currently possesses and is now working on how to best make them available to the public. The library already has received about 400 requests from researchers all over the world looking into different topics. So if you have a Twitter account and it's not private, anything you have put out there publicly, anything since Twitter was created in 2006, and I'm willing to bet, most of you didn't have a Twitter account in 2006. It's probably been in the last year or so. If your account is public, it is now a matter of governmental record 
forever. You think there's a few people that regret that now? There's probably a couple that have some things they put out there. Some of you may regret some of the things that you put on Twitter. Because as of right now, whatever you put out there that you thought just your friends were seeing, anybody can gain access to now. Regret. When we do things, when we say things, to know that just because you created this account, anything you put out there is public knowledge and public access. And the problem is, when we do things like that, and, and some of you may be guilty of this, I've been guilty of this before, something happens, and in the moment, you're like, and you go, to cra- go crazy and go to town with your thumbs, and you shoot it out there, and we never realize the consequences of what we just put out there. We never think through, how's this going to come back and hurt me later? i give you a good example. When I first started talking to Pastor Perry and Pastor Ray about moving here and being the youth pastor at North Florida Baptist Church, I didn't know anything about their accounts on Facebook or anything like that. But when I met with them for lunch the first time, Pastor Ray starts asking me about pictures that are on my Facebook account. Nothing bad. Just asking me, hey, what was happening here? What, what were you and your wife at where your wife's got a boa constrictor around her neck? It was a fair, by the way. A fair, like a county fair, that kind of thing. Hey, y'all take things and you misconstrue them all the time. Okay. But see, hey, because, because of that social networking, if I had had something on there that I hadn't thought about, that I had just shot out there because I was mad or upset or angry, that could have hurt me. That could have been a big roadblock in me getting hired to be the youth pastor here at North Florida Baptist Church. You see, we've got to think about those things. We've got to think about the long term. And okay, if I do this action now, if I, if I put this thing out there, if I say this thing or do this thing, what could happen down the road because of this? You see, regret is something that every one of us has. But the problem is, God didn't design us to live with regret. He didn't create us to walk around with this burden on our shoulders all the time of, man, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. And as we look at Scripture, we see time and time again where there are people who do things that they regret and they wish they could change, but they can't. But we also see how God deals with them. And if you look at how God deals with them over and over again, he deals with the sin and there are consequences for the sin, but his intention is not for them to live regretting that sin for the rest of their life. That's the whole idea of Jesus Christ is to take care of that sin. You see, tonight, what I want you guys to open your Bibles to or your apps or whatever you're using, if you want to follow along in version, NFBC, Space, Youth, and you can follow the outline we're doing up here, we're going to look at King David. Now, many of you are familiar with the story of King David. You know the whole ordeal. So I'm not going to read the entire thing. But I do want to read small portions of it just so we understand where David is, what David does, and where we're going from there. When you go to 2 Samuel chapter 11, you see King David. And in the beginning of that chapter, King David sends his army to war. Now, tradition, custom would tell us that a king, when his army goes to war, the king goes with his army. But for whatever reason, David did not do that this time. David stays home. David does not stick to custom. And because David stays home, David makes a series of bad decisions. Decisions that he will come to regret. In fact, let's look at bad decision number one. 
It happens in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses, verse 2 through 5. It says, It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is, this not, is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanliness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Bad decision, number one. David didn't go to war with his army. And because he did not go to war with his army, David sees a woman. David has an affair. The woman gets pregnant. Think we got a problem there? Decision that he might regret. But you see, the interesting thing is, as we look at this, as we follow this story through, we don't see regret from David. In fact, what we see is when David finds this out, instead of panicking and thinking, oh, you know, I, I've, I've sinned. I've got to make this right. What do I do? What David does is he sends for Uriah to come back from the battle. And he brings him into his court and he tells Uriah he's doing a good job and he wants him to go home and sleep in his house. You see, his plan is to bring Uriah home, let him be with his wife and let everybody assume it's Uriah's child. But you see, the interesting thing is Uriah is a man of honor and Uriah tells David that he's not going to do that. And the reason he's not going to do that is because he's a soldier and his army is at war. So he sleeps on the king's doorstep. And the second night, Uriah, or David tries to convince him again to go home. And this time, he gets Uriah with his servants, and he gets Uriah drunk. But Uriah still doesn't go home. Uriah sleeps on the couch with the servants because he's an honorable man. I know he's still getting drunk, but he's at least got enough honor to do what he's supposed to do when it comes to the army. So David decides to do something different. David decides he's going to send Uriah back to the front. And here's what he's going to do. Bad decision number two. Second Samuel 11, verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. Uriah carried this letter. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Long story short, David commits adultery. David gets a woman pregnant. David commits murder to cover up his mistakes. Bad decisions, right? Things that you would think would cause a little bit of regret in his life. But you see, David doesn't show any of that. What David actually does is, is David has gone through and David has done the best he can to cover up his mistakes and to hide what he's done. And when they find out that Uriah is dead, his wife Bathsheba goes through the time of mourning that is normal. But then it tells us in verse 27 of chapter 11, when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done 
displeased the Lord. You see, what we see right there is what we talked about at the end of last week. When we think about accountability in our lives, even when we think we've fooled everybody else, our leaders, our friends, maybe even ourselves, even when we think we've got everything covered, we're still accountable to God. God still knows every single thing, and he's not fooled. We see that in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel. In chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, what God does is God sends Nathan. Nathan is a prophet of God. And Nathan comes to David, and Nathan tells this story. He tells the story about two men in this city. You've got one man who's really poor, and this man doesn't have anything but this young sheep, and he takes that sheep, and he's raised that sheep up, and that's the only thing he has of value. And this other man is a rich man who has everything he could want, and one of his friends comes to town. And he wants to feed his friend and give him a good meal, but instead of killing one of the many sheep that he has, he goes to the poor man, and he takes that one sheep that that poor man has. And he says, David, what should be done to that man? And it tells us in 2 Samuel 12, verse 5, it says, Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. God just smacked David right between the eyes. David has done everything he's done. He's done what he can to cover up his tracks and thought he had the power to take care of it. But God wasn't fooled. And as a result of his sin, there are consequences. You see, a lot of time when when we do something that we regret, the the reason, my goodness, the reason we regret it is because we know it's sin. Whether it's yelling at our parents when Scripture tells us we're supposed to obey and respect our parents. Whether it's sneaking out and doing something we know we're not supposed to do. Whether it's taking the Lord's name in vain. Whatever it may be in your case. Drinking at a party. Drinking is not a sin according to the Bible. But obeying the law is. And you're underage. See, every single one of those that we hope nobody ever finds out about. The reason we hope that is because we know it's sin. And David had to know that it's sin, but we don't see any regret in his life until Nathan comes to him and Nathan calls him out on it and says, you're the man. And then he goes through and gives him God's word and says, God gave you everything. He put you in this place, gave you everything you ever wanted. But because you went after what was not yours and you have sinned, there's consequences. And he tells him a couple things. He tells him that the sword will never leave his house. In other words, as long as David is alive, there will be war. There will be battle. He will experience bloodshed for the rest of his life. But it also tells him that because of the sin he's committed, this son that Bathsheba had, he's going to die. There's a consequence. And as you look at this and read this story, You see where David, he gets on his knees and he cries out before God. And the whole time the child is sick, David is just mourning and crying out to God and pleading for this child's life. Then when the child dies, David cleans himself up. And David goes back to his wife 
and he goes about his business. And somebody asks him, David, you cried this entire time while your child was sick. Why aren't you sad now that he's dead? And he gives a very interesting response. He said, while the child was sick, there was still a chance that God would have mercy on him. But now that he's dead, there's no chance. I've got to move on with my life. And you see, we get a little insight to what David was thinking and what David was going through from the book of Psalms. Because David wrote a bunch of the Psalms. And in Psalm 51, which is what we're going to look at for the rest of the evening, we see how David cries out to God and talks to God during this time when his son is dying and his son has died and his wife is losing a child and he's losing a child and he's committed these sins. We see some very interesting things about how he interacts with God and how God wants us to interact with him when we have regret, when we have sin in our life that are keeping us from who God is and what God wants for us. So what we're going to do is we're going to read Psalm 51. Turn your phone off, please. Psalm 51, and I would like one of you to read it. It's 19 verses. Zach Mack, pull it up and do that for us. It's not up on the screen, so you need to pull it up in your app or your Bible or whatever it is. Psalm 51, verses 19, 1 through 19, excuse me. You got it, Zach? In fact, do me a favor. We're reading the Word of God and we're reading a good chunk of it. Y'all stand up. Let's show a little reverence for this. That'll work too. Psalm 51, 1 through 19. Okay, let's just stop and pray for a second. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can read it. And God, I pray now that as we look at what David has talked about, um, God, at, at his interaction with you and his prayer and his plea to you, God, that you will help us understand how you want us to apply this to our lives, God. Help us understand how this is supposed to be lived out by us the way it was lived out by David. Help us to know you better through this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Now, hopefully you guys could hear Zach and what he was saying there. But if you couldn't, the gist of it is, when you read through those 19 verses, you see the regret and the conviction that David experiences. That he understands what has happened in his life. That up until Nathan came to him, he didn't really have a problem with what he's done. But then when he was confronted with it, all of a sudden he realizes the sin that's going on in his life. You see, what David had was unconfessed sin. And unconfessed sin, when we look at Scripture, Scripture tells us that sin puts a wall between us and God, doesn't it? When we say, when we sin against God, basically what we're doing is telling God, you're in my way, I need you to move over here so I can get to what I want. So I can get to what brings me pleasure and what makes me happy, I'll worry about you later. That's, a, that's kind of a simplistic way to look at it, but that's, that's basically what it is. And there's times in our lives where we do that and we act that way and, and we put it behind us. We don't think anything of it. And yet, We'll come to church and we say, you know what? I don't feel like God's talking to me at all. Or I've read my Bible and I'm, I'm, I'm getting nothing. I don't understand what God's saying here. It doesn't make any sense to me. And we say, I don't feel God's presence. And a lot of time that's because we have unconfessed sin in our lives. Things that we haven't even thought about because it's such a habit or we're so used to it by now that we don't recognize it as sin anymore. And when we get to that point, that is a very scary point. And I honestly believe there's a lot of people in churches that are like that nowadays. 
Because there are a lot of people that can come to church, that can sit through a sermon, and you hear God talking to you. And you walk out those doors, and nothing happens because of it. Knowledge of God, who He is, what He's done, what He means in our life, leads us to action. That's why Jesus said the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And the second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. But you see, we don't get that. We don't understand that when we've got unconfessed sin standing in our way. We'll sit in church and we'll say, yes, Jesus died for me. I know that. Jesus forgave me of my sins. Past, present, future, I'm forgiven. And then sometimes we go about our lives just thinking, okay, I'm forgiven. Oh, man, I messed up again. It's okay, I'm forgiven. Man, I can't believe I did that again. It's okay, I'm forgiven. Jesus forgave me for that already. But you see, as in the case with David, we don't feel the presence of God because we're ignoring the sin in our life. It's there, and we may even know it's sin, but we just brush it aside because, ah, I'm forgiven. It's okay. Now, you see, David knew he was forgiven, but when Nathan brought it to his attention, the sin that was going on in his life, David didn't just admit and say, okay, God, I've sinned, and move on with his life. David stopped because his sin broke his heart. His sin grieved him because he knew that he had sinned, not just sin, he had sinned against God. And when we look at this, what we see, there's a lot of things we can see, but I just want to pull a couple things out of here. Is the very first two verses is that when it comes to sin, we have to recognize our sin. We have to take it out, we have to examine it and call it what it is. Look at what it says in verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You see, David's asking for God's cleansing because he finally realizes the gravity of what he's done. He stole another man's wife. Guys, marriage, that's a bond for life. And David came in and disrupted that. Not only that, <laughs> he got her pregnant. And then to cover it up, he killed the man. And by the way, ladies, David's not completely 100% at fault here. Bathsheba was a willing participant as well in what was going on. She may not have known about her husband, but she knew about everything up until that point. And see, David finally recognized his sin. He can't cry out to God for mercy and his grace and his love unless he acknowledges what he's done in his own life and the sin that he has committed. When he's covering everything up, he knew what he was doing, but he wasn't willing to do anything about it until Nathan called him out on it. Scripture tells us that when we do things in secret, we're walking in darkness. That's what it says. Those aren't my words. That's Scripture. Ephesians 5.11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. When we try to cover up our sin the way David covered up his sin, we are walking in darkness. We are hiding from God. The problem is we can't hide from God. We're doing our best attempt. I got a blanket over my head. You can't see me. 
That's what my, my little two-year-old will do sometimes. But we still know she's there. We can still see her. We know everything she's doing. It's the same way with God and us. When we sin and we try to hide it and hope nobody ever finds out, God says, come on, really? I know it's there. And I'm going to bring it to light eventually. Go ahead and bring it to me. Let me deal with it. Let me cleanse you. But we've got to start by recognizing what our sin is. And then we need to understand that even when we bring it to God, and he does forgive us the way he promises he will forgive us, our sin still has consequences. When you sin and God forgives you, you're forgiven. And that sin is gone. But that doesn't take away the consequences of your choices. That doesn't take away the consequences of the sin. It says in Psalm 51, starting in verse 3, For I know my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David has finally acknowledged that, yes, he sinned, and, and he, he messed up Bathsheba's family and messed up Uriah's family. But more importantly than any of that, he sinned against God. That's why he says right there, he says, you against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, his sin has affected the lives of other people. And sometimes we think that our sin, if it's just us, it doesn't affect anybody else and it's okay. But that's not true. It affects our relationship with God. And that's exactly what's happened here. Yes, David's sin has affected other people, but it has mainly affected his relationship with God. And David is recognizing that, and that's why he says in verse 4 that God is justified and blameless in his judgment. Let me ask you this. The consequences for David's sin. Sword would never leave his house. He was going to see bloodshed for the rest of his life. And his son would die. Do you think those consequences were fair? I want feedback. How many of you say yes? Raise your hand. You think that's fair? How many of you would say no? I don't really think that's fair. Okay? Can I ask you why? You think the punishment should have been more? Okay. Bethany, did you raise your hand? Exactly. You know what? I don't really think it's fair. I mean, to, to lose a child? Man, that's hard. I've, I've never had to experience that, but I know people that have. And that's hard. You, you don't forget that for the rest of your life. <clears throat> that's punishment enough. But then to know that you will never see peace in your life. To know that there will always be war. There will always be turmoil in his own house. I don't think that's fair. But you see, David recognized what we don't recognize when we say that's not fair. Is that we don't think like God. We are not perfect. We are not holy. We are not righteous. So what's fair to us, unfortunately, and this sounds harsh, it doesn't really matter. What matters is what is fair to a just and holy and righteous God. 
Our ways are not his ways. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. Therefore, we can't comprehend where God's going with things. God had a plan. And if you watch this play out and continue to read the story of David, yes, that child died. And yes, there was war. But the next child that David and Bathsheba had, does anybody know who that was? Solomon. Close. Solomon. The man who built the temple. The dwelling place of God. The man who was the wisest man that ever lived. The man who saw peace throughout his lifetime as a king. See, God still had a plan. We don't understand why God made these things happen, but God used those things to still carry out his plan. See, what we have to understand is that our sins have consequences. God may forgive us. We are forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. His death, burial, and resurrection, those sins are covered. But we still may face consequences. We had a friend in high school, a girl that was in Miss Kathleen's grade, got pregnant in high school, went before her church and apologized to the church for what she had done, went to all her friends and apologized to her friends for what she had done. But you know what? She still had a child to give birth to and raise. God didn't remove the consequences of her sin. And as far as I know, that's been a blessing in her life. You see, we still have consequences to live with. David still had consequences to live with. But we have to understand, when we make decisions like David did, we've got to think about what the consequences may be. We've got to think about what our sin may lead to. That's why I talked about last week with these social apps and and some of the things like Snapchat, where it removes accountability at least for 10 seconds in our life. When we start going down those roads... We start removing accountability from our life. And truthfully, most of the time when we remove accountability, we remove any thought for consequences. And we don't think about where this decision is going to lead. We don't think about what's going to happen here. What's going to happen a year from now, five years from now. That boyfriend, girlfriend you're messing around with now, one day, Lord willing, you're going to be married and your wife or husband is going to ask you, have you ever done things with another guy or girl? And you have two choices. You can look them in the eye and tell them the truth and know that it's going to hurt them. Or you can lie. And that's going to hurt them just as much. You see what I mean when you've got to think about the consequences? What we do now affects our life down the road. Our sin has consequences. And we've got to make sure we understand that with everything that we do and everything that we say. And that's hard. And people will tell you, you're a teenager. YOLO. You only live once. You're right. Why do you want to mess it up? You live one time physically on this earth. Thank you, Nick. Why would you want to mess it up with decisions that you're going to regret for the rest of your life? You see, when we have sin and we understand what that sin is, we see the last point that I want to talk about is that we must ask God to forgive our sin. You want to know how you deal with regret? You want to know how you get over those things that are haunting you, you wish you could let go of? Ask God to forgive you for it. Because he will. Doesn't remove the consequences. Doesn't remove those conversations or those things you have to explain 
or what may happen to you physically. But God will forgive you. And when we know we have been forgiven by God, that sin is gone. It tells us we're free. Look at what he says. Look at what uh, King David says in Psalm 51, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. David is longing to be reconnected with God here. David is, is craving the presence of God in his life and he is asking God to do what only God can do. He's asking God to cleanse his heart. You and I, we can't do anything to cleanse our own heart. Scripture tells us, anybody know what Scripture tells us about the heart? It's deceitful and wicked above all else. If we could do something about that, then we have no reason to be sitting here tonight. If we had the ability to take care of our sin and cover it up and not worry about it anymore, we don't need God or Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit. We don't need any of it. But we can't do that. And that's why we need God. That's why we have to come to him and ask him to cleanse our heart. Ask him to search our heart and do the things that we can't do. That is the entire reason that Jesus Christ lived. If you've ever wondered why, did Jesus Christ put on a suit, a body like ours, and come down to this earth and live a sinless, perfect life? It was to forgive us for our sins so that we could reconnect with God the way he designed us to. God is the creator and God created everything and he made you and I for a relationship with him. And sin stands in the way of that. It's like butting your head against a wall. You're not going to get through that wall no matter how many times you hit your head against it. But if you get smart and realize that that handle is there to open that door, you can go right through. And you can get to what you're trying to get to. Sin does that. Sin blocks us from getting to God. But when we see Jesus Christ and understand he died on the cross to forgive us, it opens the door for us to get to God. And that is what David is crying out for right here. He's wanting to be with God again, to feel his presence, to understand and feel again the joy of his salvation. Now, I've, I've talked to most of you in here, if not all of you, and you've told me that there's a time in your life you know you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and you committed to follow him. And I hope that when that time happened in your life, there was a joy. You, you felt the presence of God. Over time, when we sin and we don't confess it and we don't bring it before God, that joy starts to fade because we don't feel the presence of God. David is saying, God, please restore to me the joy of your salvation. Take me back to understanding and feeling what I felt when I knew it was real in that first moment that I had a relationship with you. That's what this is about. It tells us in Psalm 139, it requires us to come to God. Psalm 139 verse 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. We don't like to do that because it makes us uncomfortable. I don't know about you guys, but I don't like to be told when I've messed up. 
I don't like it. I don't think most of us do. But God's telling us to come to him and, and give him everything. Let him search our heart. Let him know where you've messed up. Let him point it out to you and show you not to make you guilty, not to make you regretful, but to give you the opportunity to confess it and to let him forgive you of it so that you can move on and continue to become the man and the woman that he wants you to be. When we have regret over sin in our life, we have a choice. We can come to God and we can confess it. We can let God deal with it or we can do what David tried to do. We can cover it up and we can hide it. But I can promise you this, if you take option two over time, it's going to come out anyway. You may go 20 years and nobody find out what sin you committed that you hope nobody ever found out about. But at some point it's going to come out. Even if it doesn't come out until the day you stand before God, it's going to come out. Why would you want to live with the guilt and the regret of hiding that sin? Give it to God. Confess it to him. In Psalm 51, 16, it says this, For you will not delight in a sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You see, much like David, God did not create us to live with regret and guilt and grief over the sin in our life. He gives us the opportunity through Jesus Christ to give it to him. You guys wrote down a bunch of things on these sheets of paper, different things that you regretted. Some of them kind of funny. Some of them didn't really make much sense to me. They might make sense to somebody else. But that's just because I don't know your life and your experience. Some of them are some pretty serious things. I would tell you this. Why are you holding on to it? Yes, you still have to deal with those issues. Yes, you still have to deal with those decisions. Maybe you didn't make them. Maybe others made them for you. And there are still consequences. But that does not determine your life. Your sin, your regret, your guilt does not determine who you are. If you belong to God, your definition is in Jesus Christ. That is what defines you. And what I want to ask you tonight as you're sitting here is just to take a moment and bow your heads and close your eyes. Everybody. And I want to ask you to do something. Think about something in your life that you regret. Is there something that you're holding on to? Is there some, some unconfessed sin? And I'm not going to ask you to stand up and tell the whole room. I just want you to think about that. Is there something in your life that you know is standing in the way of your relationship with God? And it doesn't have to be adultery and it doesn't have to be murder. It can be you've been disrespectful to your parents. And you know because of that, you don't feel God's presence. It can be something that simple. And my question to you is, instead of living with that and feeling guilty for that and having regret over that, are you willing just to give it to God? Call it sin. Call it what it is and recognize it. Acknowledge it. And ask God to forgive you of it.
Yeah, you may have to deal with the consequences, but you can know that you've been forgiven by the creator of the universe and the creator of you. And I'm, I'm going to pray in a minute. We're close to time being over. We're not going to sing a song tonight. But before you leave this room tonight, if there's something that you want somebody to pray with you about, it doesn't have to be myself or Miss Kathleen or Mr. Billy. We'll be more than happy to pray with you over whatever that is. And you don't even have to tell us if you don't want to. You can just say, hey, please pray for me. I've got something I need to give to God. If you've got somebody sitting next to you and you want them to pray with you, do that. But I challenge you to give it to God. To let Him deal with that. And to follow Him and feel His presence. And know that He has forgiven you and He has given you a clean heart because you've let Him search your heart and find anything that you've been holding back from Him. Don't leave this room without talking to somebody if you're willing to make that step. God, I want to um, thank you for who you are, God. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your son. Thank you for what you have given us through Scripture to know that you will forgive us, God, and that we don't have to live in sorrow and guilty and regretful of the, the sin in our lives, God, that you take it away. You leave us with consequences, God, but knowing that we can get through any of that because you are God and you've given us the strength to do so. And God, I pray for, I pray for myself, I pray for anybody in this room, God, that we will let you search our hearts. See if there is anything in us that is stopping us from coming to you. And God, help us to recognize sin in our life. Help us to have the courage to get over ourselves and give it to you, confess it to you. God, we do love you. And we know that you loved us first. And God, I pray for each person in here, God, that you will help us just to understand that more and more each day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.